guys, it's Liana. I'm an entrepreneur, founder of TTYL, a human connection advocate, an event host, a writer, a coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. Welcome to Ghosts of Dates Past, a podcast about first date horror stories to break down dating stigmas in our society. Each week, I'll invite a new guest onto the show to discuss their real life first date horror story, as well as their best first date. Because let's be honest, we don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. In all seriousness, I started this podcast after realizing most people avoid having difficult conversations, choosing to hide behind their technology, or put into my words, ghost. I'll be exploring the current dating etiquette from dating apps to situationships and everything in between. Let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome back to Ghost of Dates Past. I'm super excited about today's episode. I'm here with Sabrina Flores. We came across each other on Instagram and we've just formed this really dope relationship and she's given me some really great dating advice. So I hope that you guys find some gems to take away with you today and I'm sure you will. She's a conscious love and relationship coach and I kind of want to let her explain more of what she does. Um, She's putting out some amazing content. So Sabrina, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for that warm and loving welcome. I'm excited to be here. It's funny that we did actually meet on Instagram and it's funny because both of us are very, very passionate about authentic relationships and vulnerability and sort of skipping the small talk, all that jazz. And I think pretty early on, we just followed each other and we're like, hey, let's hop on a phone call and talk more. So only fitting that things ended up the way that they did. But um, yeah, so I am self-proclaimed conscious of relationships coach and the conscious part of that is something that's really important to me because I think it really touches on that authentic and that vulnerable piece that I talked about Um, and something that's really important to me not only as a coach and a budding psychologist but also as a human being is this really deep desire to connect deeply with both yourself and those around you or me and so what's been sort of my journey into this work is releasing shame releasing negativity, kind of on this spiritual awakening. And I'm sort of diving into this coaching work as I'm doing that, which has been really illuminating and enlightening. And the main thing that I want to do is really help others feel empowered to embrace radical self-love and embrace vulnerability as this thing that's, yes, scary, but really capable of showing you the beauty and the magic of human connection. And so that's really, you know, what I want to do, what I want to help others do, and what I love to talk about. Mm, yes, I think we're just, yeah, we're so aligned. You know, I call myself a human connection advocate and just being, yeah, just like being more authentic, being more vulnerable, being honest. I think that's the whole, when we talk about ghosting a lot, that is where a lot of that conversation comes into play. I think we're just afraid to be honest and open with one another and yeah, definitely want to just on that mission to change that. But in the spirit of ghosting, and obviously, since we talk about first dates on this podcast, I would love to hear your first date horror story. Yeah, so it was funny when you mentioned that that was one of the first things you were going to ask. My gut reaction was, oh my god, I have so many terrible first dates. When I sat down, I thought about it. I didn't actually have any isolated terrible first dates. It was more like when I think about my dating patterns and my dating life and experiences early on as a young woman, as a teenager, they were just generally not great. And so I think when I think of dating and first dates and the cringiness that accompany 
accompanies that, it kind of bleeds into that memory. But there was one that was particularly bad. Okay, so I had just gotten out of not quite a relationship, more like a a situationship. Does that term like make any sense? Kind of like it's in between. It's not quite dating because both people are kind of emotionally unavailable, but not quite casual. So it's in that really awkward place in the middle. Yeah, got out of one of those and was like, okay, I'm ready for a real relationship and was searching for anybody that would, you know, give it to me. (laughs) And there was this guy that for some reason screamed emotional availability to me, even though he was the furthest thing from that as humanly possible. And we went on this date and I was trying to connect. He was on his phone the whole time, which is always a deal breaker and just doesn't make you feel good, especially if you're setting aside time to get to know this person in a romantic capacity. Shortly after he was deflecting lots of my, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess efforts to engage more deeply. I was talking a bit about my work. He wasn't asking me any questions. He was kind of dismissing things I was passionate about, making fun of them a bit. One of his friends met up. We ran into him. We were somewhere on campus, sat down with us. He was like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your date. And this guy looks at his friend. He's like, oh, this isn't a date. And I was just like, um, okay, then what are we doing? But of course we didn't say anything. We're just like, oh, haha, you're so funny, Michael. Um, it kind of carried along that same vein where he was just very dismissive and not respecting of me or my time. We clearly weren't aligned with what we were looking for. Even later, that conversation with his friend, he show him that he's capable of all this emotion. And of course, you know, that never, that never goes well. But yeah, that was, I think, probably the worst date that I had ever been on in hindsight, because in the moment, in real time, I continued to pursue him for various months and nothing had changed, of course. But I, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, like, Sabrina, what were you doing? Yep. I feel like we've all been there. I've definitely been there with guys where I'm chasing someone who's emotionally unavailable, but ooh, it gets me what he said when he said it wasn't even a date. I can't believe he said that. Oh my God. Uh, like I should have just run away. It's like, you know, oh, you're right. It's not a date. Okay, well, anyway, since it's not a date, neither of us have to pay and I could just leave since your friends here. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been epic. I And that's a huge thing that I've realized is whenever a situation happens for the first time, we often don't think of the answer until we leave. And then we go, oh, yeah, oh, I should have said that. And then we know for next time, but it never happens in the moment the way we want it to. So true. It's it's those moments where I wish we had that magic remote, you know, from that Adam Sandler movie, I forget the name of it, where you have the remote and you can like pop. Yeah, click. Yeah, click. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I used to fantasize about having something like that when I was younger, just for that exact reason where you never think of the golden nugget to say that would really put them in their place and be like, mm, take that sister until like five years later when you're like, you know? <laughs> yeah, so true. It's so, it can be so frustrating to us, especially when we get into a situation that's not treating us well. And we just wish we had this epic wing woman by our side. that's just like, you suck and telling him off for you so we don't have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) If only it were that easy. (laughs) And we could replay everything in our lives. I mean, yeah, that would be quite the superpower. 
but also I think it'd be quite the nightmare, you know, I think it'd be hard to move on from things if you could just redo them again. I think part of growing is making mistakes and learning from them for next time. And it, it, it builds character as cheesy as it sounds, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think that's how you build resilience, you get through that pain, and you accept, you know, hey, I could have handled that better, I could have acted in a way that might have respected myself more. But it's that kind of pain and that cringiness of the memory that motivates you to make a different decision the next time you're in a similar situation so it's like that very delicate like mm, like would it it would be great in theory but in practice uh. no you're so right and I think you know on the mistakes point it's I don't think there are really mistakes I think there's just growth I think there's just learning experiences from that because if we it's the same thing where especially during quarantine I think so many of us have just hit our, our heads at the pillow and our minds just go completely wild with all the things we wish we did and all the regrets we have from our lives but I think at least for me that happens to me a lot in the beginning and it's taken me a long time to just realize okay well it's in the past there's nothing I can do what can I do differently next time to your point how can I learn from this experience and grow from it Definitely. And I love how you phrased that about, you know, or at least shared your experience and going through that process during quarantine, because I think that's been a huge coping mechanism for so many people, myself included. And it certainly sounds that way for you, where you just got to keep moving forward, because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. That's really the only thing you have control over. And so, you know, that mentality, that resilience, future driven mentality is really what growth is all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. <laughs> so just you obviously have grown so much from that specific date in particular, but how did you end up finding this path that you're on now? Oh boy, in terms of where am I emotionally, in terms of career-wise? Career, let's go with career and then we'll delve into all the emotional questions that I, ha I have. <laughs> Oh boy, yum, I love that. Okay, so career-wise, so I was very lucky to go to an amazing institution. I graduated from Duke and wouldn't have changed that for anything. I think it gave me so many tools. It really taught me how to grind and how to work hard and keep my head down and fight for your place and fight for your voice to be heard, especially as a woman of color in a predominantly white institution in the South. But the one thing I, I regret sort of about my time there is the way I really allowed myself to be immersed in this whole grind and my hyperproductive mentality, right? Everyone there was so success driven, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself. But the problem there was that their success was measured by external factors and by sort of quantitative consequences. So things like what firm you got a job with or what your GPA was or where you interned, things like that. And it was very hyper competitive. And so in that way, really, if you weren't doing something like, you know, trying to get into the best med school, trying to uh, get that Goldman Sachs internship, trying to fight for world peace and get the Nobel Prize at age 20, what were you doing with your life? And it enforced this idea into my head where, okay, well, I'm already studying psychology. And that's already not seen as a prestigious field in the scope of an institution like that. So what am I going to do to legitimize myself and make me feel like I'm not wasting my opportunity here. 
And so in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I have to get a PhD. So I guess that's what's going to happen. And so I went through college and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be a clinical psychologist. And I really just hated how, well, clinical everything was, which sounds like an oxymoron. I should have expected it, but it was just a little bit too black and white for me. It was a little bit too narrowly minded. And I just, I wanted something more. I thought connection was so important and so much of foundational theories of psychology is looking at everything from outside the box and really projecting with little to no empathy, creating distance between you and the client. And it just wasn't what I was about. And Duke didn't really offer me a a bridge in between the two where I could explore the more unexplainable, more magical aspects of human connection. So after I graduated, I was really looking for an opportunity to practice my clinical skills because I still wanted to eventually perhaps get a higher degree. And so I ended up working and I am still currently full-time working with the VA as a crisis counselor and coach for loved ones of veterans and veterans themselves who are grappling with mental illnesses and just mental health difficulties post-deployment. And it's really teaching me a lot about how to really, really create and cultivate empathy with people because my team, great people, but again, they are very black and white and very, think of like a psychologist, like a Freudian psychologist sitting and the clients on the couch laying down and, you know, applying all these theories that sound kind of far off. That's kind of what they're doing, but really all people need at the end of the day is to feel like they're being heard and understood and listened to. And so sometimes what I'll just do is I'll leave all the theories and the techniques aside and just talk to them like I would talk to myself if I was in that situation. And it's really taught me a lot about how sometimes what people need is just to feel like they're heard and that's where the most growth comes in and so that's kind of how I went more into the coaching the more conscious part of what I do and I I just started this down this spiritual rabbit hole as it often happens where I can't stop reading can't stop consuming and I just want to know more and I love you know the mysticism and everything about that and I really want to carry that into the work I do so right now I kind of took a leap about two months ago now I've always wanted to have a platform and reach more people and have the freedom to express whatever I wanted and so kicked the imposter syndrome's ass to the curb and just said you know what I'm gonna do this and I did and and I'm so happy I did because I found community and I found so much purpose in it. And hopefully in a year or two's time, this will be something that I'm doing full time. And that's that's the hope. I love it. I love it. And I know, I know that you're going to be doing this full time in a year. Oh, yes. Ah, thank you. I know it. I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. I just. That means so much. <laughs> I just know the work that you're doing is so important. And the way that you're going about building this community is super authentic and real and people are are finding that and they're resonating with it and I can just tell by the engagement that you're getting on your platform and ah I can't wait for everyone to know about you. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. But I I also love what you said about just giving people a platform to listen to them, put themselves yourself in their shoes because that's something that I've really been thinking about recently because there are often times when I have drama in my life and then I turn to my girlfriends or guy friends and I just want to vent. I don't necessarily want to receive advice and I just want to I want them to just listen to me and understand where I'm coming from, but I, and I think that's something that I want to really be conscious of moving forward 
when I have something that I want to get off my chest is like asking, and I was talking to my friend about this yesterday too, asking a friend if they are in a good place emotionally to, for me to unburden myself and for me to release something, because oftentimes a friend might not be in a great mental place and we're not even aware of that. We don't even think of that. And then it's, okay, great. Is it cool if I just vent or is it cool if I just tell you my story? Can you just listen to me? And then I would love your advice. Because sometimes there are those friends that really aren't that good at giving advice, but we like to talk to them about the drama, you know? Yeah, no. And I I love what you mentioned about really asking for permission to engage somebody in the conversation like that, even if it sounds on, on sort of the surface level of not really a conversation, but more of a venting sesh. It's still a conversation because you're still engaging in dialogue with another person. And that is the definition of a conversation. And I think when we're when we're in these places where we're suffering or we're in turmoil, it's so easy for the ego to be so upset and high wired where it is difficult to to take a step back and perspective take but I think that shows a lot of emotional maturity and perspective taking ability on your part because to be able to take a step back and to ask somebody hey I need to do something that's really important for me to unload before I do that. Do I have your permission to move forward? And it's something that I used to never even do. And it's something that I'm still working on. And actually to your point where you sometimes want someone to listen to you, but sometimes people just love to offer free advice, even though if they're not good at it or it's not what you're looking for. Something that I've actually started doing after somebody vents to me is my first response to them is, okay, am I listening or am I problem solving? And then kind of moving from there because they sort of offered two completely different responses. And I think if you try to problem solve somebody's situation when they didn't ask for it, it can just seem super invalidating because that person's probably in a place where they're going to feel, first of all, like you're not hearing the emotion behind what they're saying, which is what they really want to begin with. And secondly, they're going to feel like, okay, what now you're the expert on something that you haven't even gone through yourself. Cool. That's so true. It's so true. I think that's a really important, that kind of brings me into the question that I want to discuss about boundaries and how we set them. So can you tell me a little bit more about your boundaries and how, I know you're in a relationship now, so talk a little bit about how you set those up in your current relationship. Yeah, you know, boundaries are actually one of my favorite things to talk about because I truly do think they have a bad of a bad rap. Like I think the word itself carries so much stigma and heaviness. Even even in the word the, the way that the word sounds, like you say boundary, that's you know, not the nicest or the warmest sounding word. But like most people, I used to think about boundary setting as kind of like a final straw ordeal. So something that you're begrudgingly or perhaps angrily putting into place to protect yourself after someone's hurt you or made you feel uncomfortable and as I've grown I've learned that yeah okay boundaries certainly can and should play that role as needed but more importantly they should always exist in every relationship not just to protect yourself from being hurt you know especially because carrying around the expectations like okay I'm setting this boundary because I think you're gonna hurt me you know that prevents us from entering relationships with open minds and open hearts but really boundaries exist to set our relationship up for success and allow us to enter situations where we know that there's established mutual respect and understanding for each other's priorities, limitations, and comfort levels. So that being said, my boundaries change profoundly from relationship to relationship, whether that's with my partner, with my mom, with my roommate, with my best friend, 
as everybody's should, you know, I think there's some overlaps between them. I think for me personally, a lot of mine stem from empathy, honesty, compassionate action and transparent communication, meaning that the times I feel like my boundaries are being violated the most are times when at least one of those things are being compromised. But in my current relationship, I laugh because boundary setting for us was kind of like an Olympic sport because we both came into the partnership in such polar opposite places, spiritually, emotionally, romantically, literally the whole nine yards. You know, he kind of came overflowing with so much love and he was ready to open his heart and experience deep intimacy from the get-go. He was like, let's fucking go. And I was in this mental place of fuck the patriarchy, fuck monogamy. Me, I'm a divine goddess. Goddess, like I don't need a man. I just need myself. So, like as you can imagine, there were a few things that didn't line up there. But the way we sort of were able to meet in the middle over time was honestly just mutual commitment to a series of non-judgmental and flexible conversations. And I mean a series. Like there were multiple conversations that spanned over the course of weeks. And I know that can sound like, holy shit, that's a lot of conversations. But when you think about it, boundary setting helped us identify who we are as individuals. And that is no easy or simple thing. We are complex beings. We are nuanced beings. So the whole entirety of who we are can't possibly be reduced to one conversation. So naturally, when we're talking about how to protect ourselves and to create an environment where we feel like we can be our best selves, that shouldn't be one conversation either. Mm. There are so many things. I'm just like, wow, we could literally have an entire episode dedicated to boundaries because and maybe we, maybe we should be <laughs> just talking and I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. But yeah, I just, I love what you said that boundaries change from relationship to relationship. And I think boundaries change over time as well, you know, because as we change, as we evolve, if we are choosing to change as people, we are ultimately going to set maybe even stricter boundaries, but that would make us healthier people and have healthier relationships because we know what we can give and what we can take from other people as well. Absolutely. And I think that piece that you said about the boundaries changing is so important. That is the universal truth of boundaries if such a thing exists. We talk a lot about growth as people being dynamic, being as constant, being as a continuous process that never really ends. And so if that's true, then our boundaries should be shifting too. You don't want to be your 25, 26 year old goddess self and still holding on to your boundaries from when you were 18. That that just won't work. It's going to be impossible for you to grow into the environment that you know you can embody if you're not constantly reevaluating the boundaries you have in place and adjusting them as needed. Totally, totally. And I think another thing about boundaries is that we often don't give them the time of day. Like you said, we it's kind of this this harsh word. It doesn't really roll off the tongue or sound great to put into our lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it can be one of the most important things in our relationships. And we often don't even think about focusing on them. I feel like it kind of comes off for a lot of people as something is often our intuition or our gut is screaming at us. I've, I was talking, I don't remember when this came up in my life, but I had this conversation that, oh, do you think with your heart, your head or your gut? And your gut is a connection of both your head and your heart. And I'm such a gut reactor person. And I've always found that when my gut is screaming at me, or if I literally get an upset stomach when something is wrong in my life. And wow. so when that happens, I literally am like, okay, let's, let's dial back, Liana. What is going on in your life? What 
do we need to work on right now? What do we, what boundaries do we need to set? And it usually does have to do with boundaries. It has to do with something that someone said or did or something that I am doing that I'm not living up to my boundary setting for myself. Wow. That's so beautiful that you're able to have such a connection with your body and trusting your intuition. I think that's something that a lot of people have difficulty kind of cultivating, myself included. How would you how would you even begin to sort of trust that process of listening to your gut if you are one of those people that thinks that, you know, they should be relying off of their gut instinct to make choices that protect themselves or further their own best interests? Mm, that's a good question. I think for me, it I had I actually had stomach problems for so long and thought that it was all food related. I literally thought I went through all this medical stuff when I was in high school and was taking on this medication. And I just thought, okay, it's related to the medication. It's related to this medical condition that I have. No big deal. And I went on all these crazy diets and that's a whole other story. But at the end of the day, it took me when the doctors finally told me there was nothing wrong with me. It made me realize that, okay, if this isn't related to my diet or my relationship with food at all, then it's related to something else entirely, which meant I kind of noticed the triggers. You know, I started to say, okay, if I had some big, you know, if I had an interview coming up or if I was going on a date or something and I'd start to notice these kind of stress triggers and my stomach would get all messed up. And I think that's pretty normal for a lot of people. You know, if you have stress or you're starting to feel anxious about something, you might have to go to the bathroom. So then I started to think, okay, it started to show up in other areas of my life where recently it happened where it just in a, a dating sense, a guy was interested in being casual and I didn't really know what I wanted, but I totally did know what I want. I I just wasn't taking the time. I wasn't taking the time or space to actually think and feel with my body and my mind and like write down what I was looking for. And so we went on this date and he was great and we chatted for like three hours and then he messaged me and I physically like could not respond to him because there was some something was just off and I avoided texting him the entire weekend. And finally I realized I, I looked at myself and I said, You don't want that. You don't want something casual. So it was kind of a moment, I guess for me, it came in stillness and time to actually think before I respond, think before I react. What's helped me a lot is journaling. I'm also in therapy now. Yes, therapy. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's just a matter of, yeah, just stepping back because I think oftentimes we just want to go with the flow and have a good time in life. But I mean, the whole thing, you know, if it's a hell, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And I think that just is true for everything in life. If you're not a hundred, if you're both feet are not a hundred percent in the other side of the door, you should just walk right out. A hundred percent. Wow. You know, I think that's so incredible. I think everything you said about taking the stillness and having time to reflect and all that, it's just such simple advice that you hear over and over and over again. And it's like the last thing you ever want to hear when you're looking for things like how to trust your gut. And because you're, you're if, if you're looking for that information, it's because you're having difficulty with it. And when you hear something like take a moment, take a breath, be still, journal, you're like, fuck you. Like I'm not like that's, you know, that what's that going to do to me? But you know, it's, it's there for a reason. And I think 
the reason why people are so descending of that is because stillness really forces you to be reckoned face to face with truth, with what you want, what you don't want. And sometimes it goes against what you think you want or what you think is best. And that juxtaposition can be scary. And sometimes it requires you to walk away from things or to let things go. And change, change isn't isn't easy and changes kind of goes against a lot of what we're conditioned to do as humans so it it would make sense it would make sense but I I really value that advice and I think it's an important reminder too that when we're thinking about the mind and things we experience like anxiety or you know depression or just maladaptive thought behaviors and patterns and negative self-talk so much of that is manifested in the body trauma is held in the body and I think that's another thing about traditional psychotherapy that kind of turns me off is that they completely sever the mind-body connection when in reality those two things should never be on two opposite sides of the coin yeah that's so true we I know they talk about a lot about that in yoga how especially women we hold a lot of trauma in our hips and so when we go into that, what is it, the the pigeon pose, and it's such a body opener, not only literal physically, but emotionally as well. And oftentimes, if you're holding that pose for a few minutes, you often find an emotional release and people start crying. So yeah, it's so true. And I also love what you said about stillness equals truth, because I think that's yeah, that is just what it is. And we often, we're such a go, go, go society. And so that's a huge reason why we often don't know what we want because we don't take the time to slow down. A hundred percent. Yeah. So in terms of what you tell people to set, how to set boundaries, what are some, what's some advice that you give? Um, I think, I think the, the, the most important thing, whether you're in a couple or you're single is to really know yourself, you know, be comfortable with stillness internally as well as externally right so external stillness means actually physically being alone and internal stillness meaning can you go into an introspective place can you identify what thoughts are yours and what's your anxiety and what's ego can you can you really enter this mindset where you're able to think this is me and this is who I am and this is what I want and feel confident and comfortable when you think about that and you recount that back to yourself and I think Knowing yourself really, you know, it's such an important fundamental part of self-care, but really it's also a fundamental important part to being in a healthy relationship too, because if you don't know yourself, there's no way in hell you can be clear on what you really need and what you really want especially when there's somebody else in the picture and you're really depending on someone else's behavior to fulfill those needs and wants. So that that's huge first. Secondly, and that kind of leads back into sort of touch things that we've touched on already, which is you have to be flexible. You have to be mindful of all or nothing thinking, meaning, you know, ultimatums and things like that, you know, lots of great and healthy relationships really rely on compromise but like you said you also have to know when it's a hell yes and a hell no and not really keep one foot in each frame because you need to know what things you can compromise on and what things are non-negotiables for you and so 
it's a bunch of things that objectively sound super contradictory, but it's kind of like a very delicate dance of knowing yourself and knowing what you will be able to compromise on and knowing what is an absolute non-negotiable for you. Something else that's super important, I think this is the last thing that I tell people, is checking your judgment at the door, judgment both towards yourself and towards your partner. And I say partner, but I mean really the partner who you're engaging in conversation with, whether or not that's a romantic partner. And as far as judgment goes, you know, obviously that's so much easier said than done, I know, but you really need to practice compassion and acceptance so you can get to a place where you can fully accept someone else's boundaries when they implement them and not take it personally. And meanwhile, simultaneously also coming up with and asserting your own because shame really weighs us down. It's like we talked about sword in the body and the hips, your shoulders tense up and it clouds your mind from thinking straight and reflecting and it changes the way you talk about yourself and you internalize external conversations and circumstances and it keeps us from pursuing what we maybe subconsciously know we deserve. You really need to feel safe and make a safe space for others. Otherwise, difficult conversations like this will get absolutely nowhere. I'm over here nodding my head at everything you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad because it would have been really awkward if you said all of that and you're like, Sabrina, what? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. It's resonating so much. I think that leaving the judgment part is super important, just like what you said at the end, because we often you know, there are no expectations. There shouldn't be expectations going into a conversation like this. And I think oftentimes, especially if you're not discussing with a partner beforehand, oh, hey, can we set a time to discuss our boundaries? That off- It often doesn't happen like that, especially with friendships. So being aware that a friend might want to work on something or anyone might want in your life might want to work on something with you at any point and being ready to receive any kind of conversation and not feeling judgmental of them or defensive of of yourself. And that's definitely something that I'm working on and have been working on pretty much my whole life because I I know my mom always got so mad at me when I got so defensive when I was a kid and like she'd edit my papers and I'd yell at her and cry like, you're miss, you're changing all my words, blah, blah, blah. And it was not the case. But I think as humans, and especially, you know, kids obviously are super sensitive to that, but as human beings, we don't want to admit that we are wrong or that we did anything wrong. So that's a big thing too. Definitely. And I also, the expectation PC part is so, point you stated is so important. It's something that I tell to my clients very frequently. You know, when they're going into this conversation, you know, it's important to, I say, manage your expectations, not walk in with no expectations because now I was like, well, Sabrina, like you always say like having no expectations is the key to happiness. So how am I supposed to like manage? I was like, okay, let's, let's take a pause here. Okay. Let's not put words in my mouth. So what's important is to figure out what your expectation is and evaluate whether or not that yields productivity or is conducive to a productive conversation, right? Because if you're going into an intimate conversation where both parties will most likely be defensive from the get-go and it's already touchy, if your expectation, your ideal outcome of that conversation is, I am going to get them to change this behavior and that's it. That's black and white thinking. That's not flexibility. And most likely that person is not going to feel like they're being heard. They're going to get defensive. They're going to start attacking you. There's going to be an argument. There's going 
going to be feelings hurt. Nothing good can come out of that. But what's a more productive way of reframing that expectation, right? Because it is okay to have expectations is it's my expectation that we will have a conversation where we will be able to gain mutual understanding about each other. And through this engagement and meaningful, authentic, vulnerable conversation where we feel safe to share our own concerns and our own feelings, we will be able to come up with some kind of solution, even if that solution is, okay, let's put this on pause and just be mindful of any feelings of discomfort that come up in the future in similar situations. Yeah, I think that's 100% nail on the head because boundaries, boundary setting with partnerships in general are solutions. They're not, I'm putting up this wall and you can't cross it. Totally, 100%. But as we get into the second half of our podcast, I wanted to make sure that we touch on your best first date. I'd love to hear that story. My best first date. Oh my goodness. So this one I actually do have a really good story for. And it's actually, let me just get into it. So it was this fall and I was in a little bit of an interesting dating situation. So I was current, I was in an open relationship with a partner of over three years. And I was also currently seeing somebody who had been dating for a year. My partner of three years was from DC and it kind of, it was a little bit all over the place. So basically the reason I was in that situation is because I knew I didn't want to be in that relationship. I wanted to live a single life but I didn't want to be in a relationship and want to feel like I had that restriction little did I know what I really needed was the right partner but you know you live and you learn but so essentially I was kind of like embodying this kind of single like I said earlier like fuck the patriarchy I don't need anybody but my friends sort of mentality and I was on a dating app obviously as one does and I, I live in I live in North Carolina right I live in Durham North Carolina it is a very small town in the south you know the dating pool ain't that big so you know I remember swiping and seeing this like gorgeous man I was like oh hello and then I was like okay well first of all this looks fake so you couldn't tell the photos are too good quality you're like this is probably a catfish but whatever like I got nothing to do so I swiped like we matched we talked for a bit I found out that this person lived 80 miles away so I was like what the hell how do we even match because my radius is super small because I don't have a car but I was like you know what whatever he's a good conversationalist he uses lots of emojis like fine we'll just talk for a bit I had absolutely no intention of meeting up with this guy like literally okay an hour half away he was at in the army so you know I wasn't putting up with that I worked for the VA that seemed messy and like I said not looking to get into another situation so we talked for a few days we had intended to FaceTime that weekend we matched on a Monday it was Friday so we were intending to FaceTime on, on Friday uh, or Saturday so Saturday morning and Friday night I go with my friends she had just taken the MCAT she was celebrating that and I get a phone call from this guy mind you I've never even seen his face I've never heard his voice like five days of very sporadic bumble conversations so I go to the bathroom confused as all hell and I'm like hello are you good and you know he's like bubbly like oh hey yeah sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you if you were busy but um I was actually with my buddies and I was hanging out with them and I actually got an extra day of um leave I have Monday off and given that you know I'm in the army I don't really plan things out day to day so I'm a super spontaneous person and kind of just go with the flow as things come up and I kind of just drank a bunch of caffeine it was 11 30 p.m for reference but I was but but I was wondering if you're not doing anything like would it be cool if maybe I can like drive up 
and meet you and I was like uh like literally I froze and I was like this screams serial killer all over it so I was like um you know like I'm actually celebrating you know with my friends and I'm giving them a ton of love and, and attention and to be completely honest I'm really overwhelmed by this request so I'm gonna have to consult with them can I call you back in like 20 minutes and he's like oh yeah sure thanks for being honest and I was like okay I hung up I ran to the living room and I was like you guys what the actual fuck told them what happened and they were like yeah Sabrina this is how you die like this is how you end up on like cold case files or something like that like you're not doing this and I was like you're right I'm not but then I sat down and I was like you know what fuck it like that would be a completely awesome story like this guy just drove an hour and a half up to meet me I'd not met him before not see him we look like in person could be a total catfish like eh, like how bad could it be so I call him back and I'm like okay look um kind of sus that you're gonna drive over now I'm also with my friends so I don't want to go down that route but if you want to maybe come over tomorrow and you know in the morning and have lunch I would hate for you to drive up here and then all drive all the way back so like you can bring an overnight bag and if you vibe you please feel free to stay the night and we can go from there and he was like yeah okay sure sounds good Good. So the next morning, he drives up at like 10 in the morning. We meet. He, to all the listeners, like, no, was not a catfish. He <laughs> was just as beautiful in person, which is to my relief. And we ended up really, really, really hitting it off. It was like the most electric connection I've ever felt in my life. By the end of the weekend, it felt like I had known him for lifetimes. And I mean, he left and on his drive home. Like we were on the phone with each other and we were just assuring ourselves that that actually happened and that wasn't a dream and kind of that we were both equally awestruck and just shocked by the pure unexplainableness of everything that just happened and we kind of just vibed you know I kind of told him like listen I'm in all these other relationships I'm not looking for something serious I'm not sure where this is going and he was like bet you know do what you have to do you've known these people for years and I've you've known me for three days I would never expect you to drop everything for that and over time the relationship really grew on all planes of connection and I ended up leaving my other partners with him in a monogamous relationship right now and we are getting engaged in a few weeks so that's probably the best first date story that I've ever had <laughs> to say the least Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'm beaming from ear to ear for you and just giving me hope, girl. Giving me hope. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We try. No, no, no. But you know, the dating app scene though, I, that was definitely a golden nugget in a sea of shit. So, (laughs) so I acknowledge how blessed I am, but yes, relatable. Well, on that point, can you share how we're just on the dating apps in particular, how you share vulnerability and authenticity? Oh, that's such a good question. So I've learned that you really need to lean into this somewhat anonymous nature of the void that is dating apps and really just show up on there for yourself. And yeah, like, that's it. That's, that's the whole, that's the whole, that's the whole tweet. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're there for you. And so many of us, myself included in the beginning, enter this sphere or this plane that is not really reality kind of mimics reality but it's not really real life but we bring all of our stigmas and attachments and internalized patriarchy and gender roles and expectations into this sphere that isn't real dating and it's like there are really no attachment like there's really like the worst that can happen is that somebody just stops talking to you but like you met them like weeks ago, days ago, hours ago, right? They don't really know you and you can't, 
oh, I'll take a deep breath. I just get so, so at the end of the day, right, you're there, you're on a dating app because you want something. You want maybe to find your dream person, maybe to find your partner, maybe to have casual sex, to, you know, work on your freedom and your relationship with your sexuality. Whatever you are there for, you're there for you. And so when you do things like not asking certain questions because you don't want to seem too clingy or too intense or you're not directly asking about the other person's expectations because you're worried about how you'll be perceived, you're talking to a stranger. Like even if even if you've done them for months, right, they only know the sphere or the part of you that you let them see you do not owe them anything until you verbally establish and communicate with them that it's a two-way bi-directional relationship that's built on a mutual effort to one another but until that conversation happens you're there for you and so whenever I start to have anxiety or whenever people I talk to have anxiety about really leaning into that you know I'm here for me and getting wrapped up in this oh what if what if what if I tell them okay instead of telling yourself and asking yourself what if ask yourself what then okay so imagine you do the thing you're scared of right what then like what's the worst possible thing that can happen and then after you get to that conclusion you play out that scenario what comes after that right so think about like oh well you know if I ask him what he's looking for he's gonna think I'm super clingy and like not be with me and I was like okay well if you ask him and he does run away what then's like well then like I'm super like bummed and heartbroken and then I just like start talking to a next person and hope that they want something better and I'm like okay well is that that bad like no I guess that's what I want I'm like okay well how about if you don't ask them and you play this game and you try to like be mrs like cool chill girl who like doesn't actually have any desires of her own what then is like well then like you know it might be difficult to figure out if they're on the same page as me or maybe you know I'll find it a hard a difficult time communicating with them in the future about x y and z and or this worry of being perceived as too intense will just be carried forward in the relationship. And I'm like, mm, well, one of those options sure sounds better than the other, don't you think? And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I usually, usually am. Um, but, you know, I always say if you're looking for vulnerability and authenticity in a partner, again, like, it just needs to come from you. And that's and that's point blank. If you're ghosted or ridiculed for having an honest conversation or clearly communicating very human needs, wants, and desires, it might feel like a rejection, but it's valuable to reframe that into relief. You just dodged a bullet. That person that walked away from you is just not what you're about. And on top of that, they're unwilling to communicate that they're uninterested or that they're not after the same thing that you're after. And that is so much more of a win than a loss, okay? Like the obvious cons to online dating are that it does tend to be a little bit more ingenuine, but the pro is that you have near endless opportunities to connect with new people and it's easier than ever to just lay your cards on the table and see what happens. Yes, 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 yes. And there's, it's so funny because I was actually just talking to my best friend and I were watching a bunch of TED Talks last night about dating and she had watched a bunch of them before and just like cracking the code of online dating. And a big thing that we came around to talking about was if we owe someone anything, if we have just been talking on the dating app and the conversation kind of dies down, whatever, whatever. And I was saying to her, I don't think so. I don't think you owe them until you were legitimately going to make plans or you met up with them or unless there's or a phone call or FaceTime. And that's why I love what this guy that you're currently with did, because that was the cracking the code piece of this TED talk was you literally the whole 
problem with with dating apps is that time is wasted. And so the most important thing you can do or the best thing you can do to find success is literally get off the dating app as fast as possible. Like the whole hinge slogan is, you know, the app that's meant to be deleted. And it's so true because if you texted someone on a dating app and said, hey, you know, I'm not really great at this whole dating thing, but here's my number. I'd love to just set up a call or FaceTime within the next 24 hours and let's just vibe and talk and chat for like 10 minutes and see where it goes. And then it's kind of a, it's like a pre-date and then you don't have to waste all your time getting ready, driving across town. The guy doesn't have to worry about wasting his money or his time, you know, and you just kind of see if you vibe by and then you get a response too. if the guys or girl whoever is super weird about hopping on a call with you then that's not the person you want to be with yeah I am nodding so hard I'm gonna give myself whiplash (laughs) 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 like yes yes to all of that and you know that's literally word for word exactly what he said when I asked him about it later he was just like well you know we were talking and you were super freaking cool and I don't I'm not trying to lose the momentum because the nature of dating apps is go 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 more, 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 that dopamine, give it to me, validation, give it to me, that it's impossible to build a connection with somebody unless you're doing what humans are built to do and have that connection with them face to face, whether that's, you know, via FaceTime or a phone call or in person, although rip coronavirus, that's a little bit more difficult now, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. I know it kind of having that conversation, I was like, wow, I'm getting I'm kind of getting excited to get back on the dating apps because I feel like I have the toolkit now to know how to use them in a really good way. But we were also talking about you and I the other day about this getting in these dating patterns and kind of it's not about you being stuck in the dating. You don't you're not attracting these people. You're just not looking for the right person. And that was such a light bulb moment for me when you said that to me. And Mm. so what what's some advice that you give people or, you know, kind of reiterate what you told me the other day about finding yourself stuck in a dating pattern, attracting the same type of person? And how do you break that cycle? Yeah, well, I am so happy that that resonated with you and that you found that conversation enlightening and helpful because I think it's such a it's such a simple thing that I think when you, when people hear it, it's, it's, it's a truth that they know already subconsciously that they just need to hear reiterated back to them. And so you know, I want to preface this by validating that there is nothing more frustrating and powerless than getting to this catalyst or this point in your emotional maturity and general awakening where the reality of being stuck in a pattern slaps you in the face and it wakes you up to become conscious of all these potentially toxic patterns you've been second and it's really normal to come down on yourself after that for you know letting yourself be taken advantage of or doing too little to protect yourself and you know not knowing your worth but I want to let you know that human beings are creatures of habits so dating patterns are less of a conscious choice uh, or a bad decision and they're more of, of a maladaptive like comfort seeking behavior or, or coping mechanisms that have been born and bred from deeply rooted fear and security or just simply lacking senses of physical and emotional safety. And when we break that down, we realize that our interactions with our environments shape the bedrocks of who we are, our personalities, our desires, our fears, and practically everything in between. So if we find ourselves repeatedly being exposed to a certain toxic behavior or negative situation that forces us to cope by finding or forcing this false sense of security nestled in feelings of shame or unworthiness or low self-esteem, that becomes 
becomes normalized and desensitized to us. And consequently, we then allow ourselves to be put in situations or relationships as adults that make us feel the same way. And, you know, I guess put more colloquially, that sort of sums up the whole, like, why am I attracted to dicks? It's a dilemma that so many people find themselves in. And no, it's not that you're attracted to dicks. It's that you're not aware of the patterns that are causing you to find comfort in otherwise very uncomfortable and hurtful behavior. And breaking that cycle requires so much introspection. That seems to be a a resounding theme today, but so much dedication to growth. But the good news is that if you're already asking yourself how you can break those patterns, you're already on your way there. So, you know, no one likes to hear this, but in order to break old patterns, you need to deconstruct them. You need to understand why they formed, understand your attachment to them, understand what's holding you back from breaking them, and then ultimately go through this long process of mindfully creating a new one. And it's painfully difficult to do this if you're jumping from relationship to relationship, refusing to take some space to work on it on your own. Not impossible, but please learn from my mistakes because, you know, my friends used to call me a serial monogamist. You know, I was so anxiously attached and codependent for so much of my life and meshed myself into partners of this way of feeling safe and desired. And I viewed being alone as such a personal shortcoming that I avoided it like the plague and flung myself onto literally anyone that would have me. And eventually, you know, I was, yeah, able to do some deep work on releasing these old patterns and make some breakthroughs in my healing, but it was delayed by years and it could have saved me so much time developing my own identity as a single woman that I really missed out on through all of college and a lot of early adulthood because I viewed my purpose in life as being a lovable partner. And it can be scary, especially when society is shoving media down our throats telling us we need relationships to be happy, but you really do need to know and love yourself before you can expect somebody else to do it. You know, it's a cliche for a reason. No, 100%. And that's exactly where I'm at in a self-ship and just focusing on me. I And I'm the opposite from you in that I was definitely a serial dater and not necessarily in monogamous relationships all the time, but I just loved going on first dates and meeting new people. But it can be so exhausting because... I wasn't taking the time to focus on, oh, what do I want? What am I actually looking for in a partner? And I kind of just wanted to have a good time, which there's nothing wrong with that either. I think there's just such power in taking a step back and doing the work that we need to, to find the stability and find the healthy relationship. I completely, I completely agree. I think it reminds me of um, like when, you know, when you first start college and like the only conversations you have with people, like, what's your major? Where are you from? Like, what are you doing? It's like the date version of that when you, I feel like it can be really exhausting when you're really just like putting on a front and trying to, you know, meet new people. And it's really fun and exciting at first, but if that's not what you want, if you're not listening to your gut, like you were in your case, right? If really chasing something more meaningful that you might deeply want, it's kind of like pushing yourself towards dating burnout before you even get a taste of what you want in the first place oh that's so true my friend actually said that to me the other day he I was talking to him about these dates and I came every time we met up it was like a new guy and he was just like you know if dating isn't fun for you anymore maybe it's time to just take a break and he was so right because it it wasn't fun anymore it had got exhausting and burnout totally dating burnout is totally a thing mm-hmm. yep and I actually did see your relation your your self shit post on Instagram the other day it made me smile so I think <laughs> it was adorable <laughs> oh thank you thank you but yeah I mean oh there's so many more things I feel like we can keep talking about and I just have so, so enjoyed our conversation today I'm just gonna end on a couple questions that I ask everyone the first is what's your ideal date Um, My ideal date is probably somewhere that encourages 
vulnerable conversation. Wow, surprising, right? So <laughs> I think like I think ambiance is really important. I used to like cringe at those like scenes in movies that had like the dim lights and the candles and stuff and the music. But now I realize like does change the whole mood and maybe not on a first date, like jumping into that. But even if it's, you know, meeting outside at like a nice time of day and picking a nice thing and foods that make you happy and coming with a checklist of like things you want to talk about and things you want to learn that make you feel excited. That is an ideal date. Even if it's with someone you've been with for a while, having that sort of preparation or things you want to get out of that date or talk about or discuss or moods or feelings you want to have or experience when you're with them, they're really good to keep in mind to set you up for success. Yeah, I love that so much. And then how do you get excited for a date? Oh, you already know I'm in my room. I'm blasting music. (laughs) I am dancing. I'm probably drinking a little bit. Like just getting my confidence up. I think for me, when I started dating a little bit more casually for the first time, like later in my life, I was so nervous because for so long I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I want them to like me. Like what if they think X, Y, and Z about me? Like what am I projecting? Like what first impressions am I going to give off? And then I had this moment where I'm like, wait a minute, like I I'm judging them just as much. They should be nervous too. I'm showing up and I'm seeing if I even want to be with them or if I even want to go on a second date with them. It's not just a one-way street. And so getting into that mindset where I'm hyping myself up and I'm just really enjoying the process of getting ready and stepping into my skin and being a confident woman is really what gets me in that headspace to conquer the the dating nerves every time. Yes, yes. I love that. Dancing 100%. What What's your go-to jam right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, That's a really good question. I would say that, okay, this is really embarrassing, but like I can't stop listening to driver's license. Uh, A lot of people are listening to that. Oh my god, I feel like I'm 14 and angsty, like, about, like, a guy whose voice hasn't even dropped yet. <laughs> like, I, oh god, no, it, it, it does, it gets me, I was, I was thinking I was making my eggs this morning and it really just hit me. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, I love that. But yeah, I think it's a matter of just feeling, yeah, I love that. It's a two-way street. Dating is a two-way street. It's similar to an interview in a way, I mean, obviously on a romantic level, but you want to make sure that the other person vibes with you as much as you vibe with them, and that's... That's what it's all about, ladies and gents. <laughs> yep, you heard it here first. Well, not first, but you heard it here again for the millionth time. Again, <laughs> again. Um, but uh, Sabrina, this has been awesome. Where can everyone find you? Yes. Well, um, if you want to connect with me, I think Instagram is probably the best place for that at the moment. So it's well.necessities uh, with two S's at the end. And yeah, connect with me there. DM me, have a chat. Always open to talk about anything. And if you're listening to this, chances are I probably already vibe with you. So Yay. Oh, so amazing. Yeah. And I'll link everything in the show notes as well as your longer bio that you sent me and your beautiful picture. So yeah. Oh, thank you so much for spending the last hour with me. It's truly been amazing. I'll have to have you back on the show because there's just too much to say. Well, I absolutely can't wait. It's been the most tremendous honor and pleasure to talk with you and hear about your story and just kind of engage in this really important time of just, you know, being open and honest and vulnerable. I think it's super, super invaluable. So really thank you for having me here. No problem. And thank you again. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed today's episode or this podcast in general, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review below. And if you can think of anyone who would enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it. As a new podcast, the most helpful thing is to grow by word of mouth. After all, who doesn't enjoy a good date story? Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram at ghosts underscore of dates past. And feel free to shoot me a DM if you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest. I'm always looking for new people to bring on to the show. Hope you all have lovely weeks and I'll be back next week for another juicy episode. Bye for now.